Welcome to The Radical Therapist. We are now at episode number 123. I'm Chris Hoff. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, have a wonderful episode for you today. Uh, I, I, we're meeting with one of my other mentors. I, I feel like I've had a few mentors, uh, you know, coming up in the field and all of that. And today we're meeting with one of one of those mentors of mine, and that is Carmen Knutson Martin, Doctor Carmen Knutson Martin. Uh, and we are going to talk about her development of socio-emotional relationship therapy, otherwise known as CERT, which addresses, among other things, the microprocesses by which societal power processes play out couples' relationships. And she does have a new book out, A Step-by-Step Guide to Socio-Emotional Relationship Therapy, uh, which there is going to be a link in the uh, notes. It is a socially responsible approach to clinical practice. You might want to all pick that up, but there will be a link in the show notes for that. Um, and really quick before I introduce uh, Dr. Knutson Martin, just uh, it'd be much appreciated if you could uh, rate and review the show or share it. Always share the show with people you think that might find this helpful. Uh, that would be much appreciated. But wherever you might be listening, please, if you could take a moment, uh, rate and review the show. That's how we get out in front of other people. And I'm excited about 2024. I you know, hope to have bring you lots of um, interesting folks, interesting ideas. Uh, all that kind of stuff um, as we go through the year. So uh, your support and listening and sharing of the podcast is very, very, very much appreciated. So, uh, all right, let's get to our guest. Uh, Carmen Knutson-Martin, PhD, LMFT, is a professor emeritus, I think, <laughs> emeritus or however you say that, a marital couple and family therapy program at Lewis and Clark College, Portland, Oregon. Uh, she has also served as po- program director for the Master's MFT program at Montana State University, de- developed the Coamta Master's program at Valdosta State and the Coamta PhD program at Loma Linda University, where I met Carmen. I, I was in that PhD program. And Carmen has published over 100 articles and book chapters on the influence of larger sociocultural contexts in couple and family relationships and the political and ethical implications of therapist action on marital equality, relational development, and couple therapy. She is the developer of socio-emotional relationship therapy, which addresses the micro-processes by which societal power processes play out in couples' relationships. Carmen is editor, author of three books, Socio-Emotional Relationship Therapy, Bridging Emotion, Societal Context, and Couple Interaction, Couples, Gender, and Power, Creating Change in Intimate Relationships, and uh, Socioculturally Attuned Family Therapy Guidelines for Equitable Theory and Practice. She was the 2017 recipient of the Distinguished Contribution to Family Therapy Theory and Practice Award from the American Academy of Family Therapy, AFTA. So without further ado, let's meet Carmen. Hi, Carmen. Welcome to the Radical Therapist Podcast. Hi, Chris. I am so pleased to be here today. Yes, it's uh, wonderful to see you again and be in conversation with you again. You have been very impactful on me and 
my practice and how I think about things. You really introduced me to a lot of your work around gender and power and how that plays out in relationships and all of that kind of stuff. And it's been, I, I list you as one of my mentors growing, as I was uh, early in the field. And you really helped me get my dissertation done too. So thank you for that. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, it was uh, a very interesting dissertation involving uh, some of my students. Yes, thank you. And I had fun getting to go up to Portland and Lewis and Clark. And maybe that's my first question for you, just for my, our listeners that might not be familiar with you. Could you maybe just share a little bit about your background and, and what you're doing now? Well, um, I met Chris yeah. when I was director of the Ph.D. program in family therapy uh, at Loma Linda University, mm -hmm. uh, I started there in about 2000. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, prior to that, I, I had already been studying about uh, studying non-clinical couples mm -hmm. about how um, gender and power in particular uh, were being played out in their relationships when I was uh, teaching in, in other programs. Um, and while at uh, Loma Linda, then um, I met Douglas Hunegart, mm -hmm. and he and I started had had shared interests in how to apply um, what I had been learning from research, and Doug and I had in our different places in the world had been learning about working with gender and power, mostly at that time from feminist um, perspectives. And we started doing co-therapy together and invited students to watch. Um, and so the bulk of developing socio-emotional relationship therapy happened uh, while I was there, same time that Chris was was there at, mm -hmm. at Loma Linda, and it involved a lot of uh, students, uh, doctoral students meeting weekly with Doug and I, and we were trying to articulate the how. How do you recognize larger societal factors as they play out in practice, which is what my I actually have a degree in sociology. My doctoral degree in family therapy was housed in a sociology department. So that's what my interest has been all my life. Mm. Um, and by the time in 2014, I left uh, Loma Linda to uh, move up to Lewis and Clark uh, College, where where I was directing a master's program in family therapy, um, and. Uh, continued to work with uh, advancing CERT there with Lana Kim as a faculty colleague. And we were really then interested in how do you teach this to beginning therapists and um, continued to do research, looking at videos of therapy sessions, not only done by Lana and me, um, but but done by but by new students, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, so um, the, the, that this research in CERT has really been going on in one form or another now for um, about tw about twenty years, um, a long time. 
Yeah, and, and you know, you have a new book out, which is titled A Step-by-Step Guide to Socio-Emotional Relationship Therapy, A Socially Responsible Approach to Clinical Practice. And, um, and, um, and this isn't your first book on CERT, and, but it's a, it's a new one where I think you're trying to synthesize you know, the hard part, how does the practice look, right? And, and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And maybe, um, you know, maybe my question now is how does CERT differ from other forms of couples therapy or relationship counseling? What, what, how, do you, how would you characterize it as different or unique and that kind of thing? Well, I think, you know, today, most therapists know that the larger context affects their clients. That's yeah, not new yeah. news. Yeah, right. But very f- most models, there is the model, and then you somehow, after the fact, try to figure out how what you were seeing connects to the larger social context. And, and what CERT does that is different is um, it begins with um, a, a, a focus on the social construction processes that happen in therapy and how these are not neutral. I mean, they can't be. Um, What therapists do matters. And and a commitment to the part that we bring as therapists to not, not trying to tell people how they should run their lives, but being accountable about what we bring. And so we bring an intentional awareness about power processes in the larger society and how those affect power processes within relationships, either with partners or as the family or couple individual is trying to, to, has to negotiate in the world around them. And, um, and, and, and surprisingly for all our talk about egalitarianism (laughs) in recent decades, most people don't have a model of what it would actually mean to relate to another person, to relate to their partner or partners um, from an equal position, particularly an equal position. I guess what, what we mean by that in CERT is that each person is equally able to feel felt by the other person, to... Uh, belong, uh, not only with each other, but in society, um, to um, have an impact on their world around them and have an impact on the relationship. And so I think CERT differs in that we, we bring that, we're very intentional about how we position the work that we're doing as therapists, being aware of this larger context, and then being intentional about bringing uh, a model that we are organizing our understanding by um, of what it might mean to relate from a more equal position. What that looks like in particular people's lives could vary a lot. It's It's not a set of skills that we teach. It's a way of orienting um, to one another. Yeah, and, and maybe that's my n- next question. You, you talk in the book. You kind of have some phase one tasks and phase two tasks, and 
uh, phase three, which is uh, position, interrupt, and practice. And, and you talked about being intentional. I'm wondering how, are you pretty explicit when you go into the work about um, yeah. your positioning and, and, and uh, intention? Yes, and I th um, one of the things, okay, Chris, uh, you and I both um, collaborated with Justine um, Dragrigio yeah, yeah, yeah. um, uh, when she studied uh, how uh, therapists who are interested in social justice issues, right. how do they do that right. and still work from a uh, collaborative um, perspective right. and um, what... Uh, what I remember and I, what really stuck with me from that study is that everybody that she interviewed was transparent about what they do. Yeah. And so rather than therapy being this, like, I have these ideas about what's right or wrong or what's healthy or not healthy, and I'm the expert and I'm, I have that in the back of my mind, but I'm not telling you. Um, I think socially responsible practice of which CERT tries to be an exemplar, but it's certainly we're not the only people who are trying to do this kind of work, um, begins with believing that therapists have to also approach their clients uh, respectfully and op openly. And, um, <clears throat> and so it, in a simple way, I always start, one of the very first things I say to clients is <clears throat> that I work from a perspective that believes a relationship should mutually support each partner. Is that something you agree with? Mm. And I've never had anyone say no <laughs> to that. I mean, that's a pretty, uh, from, from sociology, we know that reciprocity is a social norm, that people pretty universally, almost automatically um, uh, believe in. Um, and, and then also when we introduce, uh, if I introduce an idea into therapy about, um, you know, how something might be connected to the larger, um, social context, first of all, it's always related to what is hap what people are telling me right there in the room or what they're doing right there in the moment. It's not a lecture from on high somewhere. Right. Okay. Um, and and then I, but then I, it's not only my being transparent, but it's helping to, for clients to start to see what's been invisible to them. Hmm. Because most of us uh, don't realize all the ways, you know, we think of ourselves as pretty individual. We don't realize all the ways that the larger society, um, both in terms of, social structures that that um, shape who's important, what ideas matter, and then the discourse, social discourses that are sort of reciprocally related to that. Um, so I, I, I think, I hope, um, you know, as, as if people read, the, the book is full of case example, in-depth case examples. Mm. And transcripts, and transcripts too. Transcripts of therapy, yeah. yes. Um, I hope that what comes through is that the therapist is um, always co-creating in a pretty 
over clear way <laughs> Are they about what here's what I'm you know the therapist would be saying something about I'm seeing this or I'm wondering about this what do you think about that but it, it's not a um it's not like a secretive uh process or or even a like really um prescriptive like I'm mm. the expert process mm. it's it's much more about um really the therapist being accountable for what they are bringing to the possibilities that are are able to emerge in the course of the therapeutic conversation when you were uh, this is another when you were uh, i'm just curious when you were developing this uh, was there some response, you know, there was, uh, you were in the smack of the effective turn in therapy, right? Where, um, emotions started to become important and these kinds of things. And, but did you also notice that there was something missing in that, that people were not looking at the larger social cultural context that, that they were in? And then, and some of these more emotionally focused therapies were missing something. Still often are. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, I mean, um, one of the gifts of having the time to to put all the pieces together, like I did in this recent volume, is going back and rereading um, a lot of the things that had informed me then. I'd even seen my own underlinings <laughs> in the books and reading new things, of course, since then. Um, and uh, and I think what there's it's been like silos. So some people emphasize discourse, some people emphasize emotion. Um, um, some people who emphasize discourse say you can't deal with emotion that gets people all off course or something. And the emotion people would say the same thing. Then there's the people who look at behavior. Right from the beginning, as a research team, Doug and I, and all the various students who were participating in it, one of the first things we did, because uh, we were systematically studying, well, what is it that we're actually doing? We'd watch a video, we'd watch a live session uh, that one of us or often a couple of people would be in the room. And, and the first thing that we noticed in the very few months is that we were dealing with all of those things. Yeah. We were dealing with emotion. We were dealing with interaction patterns. We were dealing with discourse. And tying all those things together really, um, at least in our early thinking about it, was power. Hmm. Um, and uh, the, and that, that often mostly is, is, is ignored. Um, mm -hmm. in um, mm -hmm. the therapeutic, in other models. And so CERT integrates so much from so many models. And as you say, the, uh, I was reading a lot of Daniel Siegel at the yeah. time that we um, were starting to, to systematically study CERT in 2008. And um, one of my colleagues that you know, I think Naveen Jonathan, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was my research assistant, and he did a huge study where he interviewed 40 same-sex couples, mm -hmm. 20, um, male par 20 men and partners with men and 20 partners with women, uh, couples. And 
we were trying to understand how do couples organize their relationships when they're not organizing around gender difference. Mm-hmm. And what what Naveen found, what he wrote about was how important it was to each of them to attune to each other. And so this whole idea of attunement that is so central to CERT in some ways came from attunement is a concept that Siegel was writing about that that um, Naveen used and uh, I was um, mentoring his research. Mm-hmm. We used to really explain and happening what people did when they were trying to make relationships without having, um, you know, the old stereotypic models based on gender differences to guide them. And it was about wanting to be in connection with each other, wanting to, to they didn't, didn't always do it perfectly, sure. but that was what was, when they talked about their relationships, these were long-term couples, that was what was motivating them. And that became very central to CERT. Um, so uh, it, it's about emotion, but it's not just about emotional expression. It's this idea of feeling felt. Like your partner gets you, and clinically that your therapist gets you, and that's more than a cognitive thing. It's also a um, mirror neuron that that your that you're letting your own body Mm. take in and feel a client's experience. Wonderful. Um, as also, as I understand it, relational ethics is central to CERT, and I'm I'm wondering if you could elaborate on this concept and and how it influences your approach. I discovered uh, Ivan Bosmany Naj's work when I was in my own doctoral program in the '80s, and um, he wrote about relational ethics, and that is the idea that. Uh, people have uh, an ethical contract in the reciprocal give and take with one another. Parents to children, couple, partner, partner, and in the larger society as well. That that's what the kind of foundations of, of just human relationships are. And his was the only model that uh, I had seen that really brought this ethical component of how we relate to each other. And so that was something that I brought um, as we were starting to develop CERT um, was this uh, real interest in, um, I think it relates to anyone who's interested in socially just practices and feminine at the time feminist practices and such. Um, and so um, in Naja's model, a lot of it was, is also um, passed down from one generation to another, but it's, it's like when people don't treat each or experience uh, justice and fairness um in in what they get from each other and sort of basic human care um then they enter relationships either entitled to more hmm. than their share or not expecting as much as their share 
And that gets very related to power dynamics then um, and how, how all that is playing out. Um, and uh, also a, a commitment that comes along from Naja's idea of relational ethics is it's ethics that what we are doing in this moment, being accountable for the impact on the, uh, on the next generation. And, and so whether they're our own children or whether it's more broad than that in the world around that. So it's, it's, it's a shift away from such an individualistic self focused um, mm -hmm. view of therapy. It's a, it, uh, which is another aspect of what's unique about CERT. Um, family therapy in general is focused on relationships. Um, and I think in recent years, especially working with Lana Kim, um, we become more and more aware in CERT about how we in the Western world, in the U US here and in other Western focused countries, uh, the society works against relationship. It is uh, the cult, the societal discourse um, minimizes relational values, what we view as a good, strong, competent person leader are things that we tend to equate with autonomy, competition, mm -hmm. um, uh, being able to get people to do things mm -hmm. as opposed to um, valuing empathy, uh, attunement to others, uh, responsibility to others, uh, caring, things that historically are labeled feminine, but then what's labeled feminine has also been minimized and devalued. Um, so this individual, um, individual focus is problematic. Right. Um, for anybody who cares about relationships. And and in my experience, there are a few exceptions, but most people who actually come to therapy, um, they have relational values, they care about them, but they have, uh, in, using kind of a narrative framework, those, those stories about relationship have not been thickened. Right. They, they are, there's so many competing stories about what's important and what, matters that it's hard for people to really operate out of a relational center yeah, that's great um okay the field of family therapy and re relationship uh, count counseling is constantly evolving and i'm wondering how you see cert evolving and uh, in the future and and what are maybe some of the challenges out there that you see for couples and you just spoke you just spoke about some of them you know about this individualistic yeah. discourse that we're always up against yeah so but. so if we're thinking about uh therapy a systemic therapy relational therapies ask maybe the hope <laughs> for our society not just the therapies but that way of thinking um uh, what do we have to do to to make that happen when um, the the places that we work the um, the whole society is so organized around such individualistic things what it means to prof be professionals organized that way mm. and um, I think 
uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, in the last year, the uh, sur current Surgeon General. Yeah, um, the loneliness epidemic. Yes, the yeah. loneliness epidemic. When you read that through, he's calling for a um, uh, interventions on us, whether it's policies or practices that help people be more relational, help yeah. our society be more organized in a more relational um, kind of way. And so in that broad context, I think that's the overall challenge and that CERT is, would be one of the, you know, the work that we've been doing is one that helps to think how, how do we really, uh, what do we have to do to go about creating change? And as you alluded to earlier, um, about 20 years we, ago, we started integrating a lot about emotion into that and valuing emotion. Um, we also, uh, a little before that, started understanding about discourses and narratives and narrative therapy mm -hmm. and other postmodern approaches. And, and what's coming together now, or at least what came together for me, because reading all these different things in order to put all the pieces together, is how do we actually create change? Um, from uh, some of the neurobiological insights uh, that, that are now being incorporated into some of the narrative models like Jeff Zimmerman's work and such um, help us understand that for an, a new story or a new idea about, let's say, how to relate relationally, to really um, take hold in a person's life, it isn't just an it's not something we can just do by individually reflecting on it. That might be a part of the process, but we have to um, have focused attention, ideally with someone else. Now that someone could be a therapist, but in family therapy world, it's much better if it's your significant others, hmm. your family members, colleagues, um, and um and then that there has to be an affective component to that, that people have to um, feel it, <coughs> feel what's um, emotionally salient to them, emotional meaning meaningful. Mm -hmm. So the distinction between thought and emotion is another change that's very important in CERT and is in part of the broader field. Um, so Murray Bowen, you know, famously said we had to separate thinking and feeling. And, right, right. Um, but that was like, how many years ago? I don't know, 60 <laughs> yes. years ago or something. Um, but now we know new um, folks who are studying how thinking and how cognition and, and uh, affective processes, emotion work together, know that you, you really can't disentangle these heart even they're they're so interconnected so talking about meaning as both cognitive and emotive is is helpful to me and so i think in terms of where the field is going to the extent that 
other people besides me <laughs> and cert people who are practicing cert are learning how to put all these pieces together. And I really do think that's what this new book is what I'm so excited about because on one hand, a, a lot of, of these are, they're not, they're certainly not new to me and I didn't create, and the CERT team didn't create these ideas ourselves, but having the chance to really put all these pieces together in context of how are we being accountable for what can happen potentially in the therapy room. I think that's new. And, and um, whether the field as a whole moves in that direction, I'm a little hopeful <laughs> because uh, despite the current political divides, um, you know, there's, there is a lot of awareness about needing to not just see people's problems as within them. Mm -hmm. We have to look at larger patterns of who's suffering depression, who's anxious, what causes, how are those things related to the larger context. And I think um, the what's one of the good things about CERT is that while it can be a standalone model, I mean, those of us who, who identify that that's our model, we integrate other things into it, but it yeah. can be used as kind of an umbrella um, with or uh, any any model. Um, and um, I was I, I'm also now working on a workbook for couples, and I'm being uh, <laughs> invited in that process to think about <laughs> how to explain these things in ways that might, while this would complement therapy, might also extend beyond therapy mm -hmm. to other settings and and people using it for their own awareness uh, in a way that's, you know, it's political with a small p in then it is about who has, uh, who's valued in society and mm -hmm. whose voice is viewed as critical, um, but in a way that's not political in the larger uh in, in the world of politics, hmm. um, and and it's a, it's an interesting um, challenge, but I think I think it's I don't think people have models and language for how to talk about these things that are so core to nearly all of us. All right. Well, we look forward to that workbook. Um, okay, a couple more questions. I guess I, I should ask, you know, because I, I have a lot of listeners who are in pro graduate programs or, you know, kind of starting out. You know, and I, what advice would you offer to these folks who are interested in incorporating certain principles and practices? And are there other books and resources? That kind of thing. Well, um, the, the new book... Uh, Yes. You, you name, a step-by-step -step guide to socio-emotional relationship therapy. And I will provide a link to the listeners on the okay. show notes. Yeah. Um, it, I was just talking to Jessica uh, Chen Feng, hmm. um, or I guess I was talking to Lana Kim, who had been talking to Jessica Chen Feng, but, um, who's who was all part of um, 
the original CERT team and who right. teaches a practicum now in CERT uh, at Fuller University, uh, Jessica does. She said, this is where all it was all the information is in one place since it's so current. Um, so there's all kinds of sources, of course, listed in there, every one of them. But someone whose work is so related and important is Olga Smoliak, S-M-O. I know I can't pronounce, I can't spell with out loud, S-M-O, well, Smoliak, I can't spell it right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, she does, she and her team do studies where they're looking at the, the uh, discourses that are being constructed in therapy sessions. And it just in the last few years, she published amazing ones. Look, one, for example, looks at, they're all cited in the book here. Hmm. Um, but one looks at, at um, how discourses of masculinity are becoming soft in that it's okay for men to be more expressive, more vulnerable, but how the male dominance aspect is still embedded in. Um, another uh, looked at a, at a session on, you know, a public session on that training session on EFT and showed all the way the ways that um, uh, the responsibility was unintentionally being put on the woman, like saying that he wasn't attentive to her because she hadn't explained herself well enough mm -hmm. and, and things mm -hmm. like that. So Olga's work is such a good example of um, uh, just looking for those, the complexity and the nuances, because if we talk about broad social patterns, they are so, they're too abstract. So we need to know what it looks like in the moment by moment of practice. Um, and um, so that's a, a source that I would look at. Um, I think we can learn from so many things that this uh, Margaret Weatherall, um, who ha did a book in uh, 2014, maybe it was 2012, on affect and emotion hmm. um, from a more of a social constructionist point of view. I actually think I have that book. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. That, that was, it's a little, um, it's not clinical. Right. Um, so it's a little more heady. <laughs> um, but if you're really interested in those foundations, that's a really, that I keep going back to that book all the time. I think you were recommended that book to me a while back. And I, oh, I might have. But seeing how people like Jeff Zim Zimmerman and, and so many other um, narrative therapists are also starting to incorporate mm -hmm. looking at at their work they don't necessarily always directly bring in the larger societal context piece um sometimes they do but but seeing i think seeing how how to actually do the work for me in terms of writing this book the the chapter where i learned the most was on the um the part writing phase three on practicing mm. because that's the part I hadn't written about 
before very much, but it is about how do we make this stuff stick. Mm -hmm. And I was drawing on so many other people. And so uh, I think if you, the other advice I would give besides what to read is to look at your own. I mean, you have to study practice, Mm -hmm. study your own practice, watch it. And you need a um, either supervision that, is focusing on helping you be accountable for what you're bringing to therapy and how therapy is either reinforcing power, societal power differences by telling people that they're just not organized enough or they need to be more goal directed or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is you need to have supervision or your own peer group. It's hard to do this on your own. Right. Um, So those would be some of my suggestions. Wonderful. And finally, the last question I always like to ask all my guests, and that is what books, thinkers, ideas, films, music, whatever, what's capturing your attention these days, Carmen? I think I've probably mentioned most of them (laughs) already. Um, So I don't know if I have much to add there. I I do think the... um, uh, Surgeon General's um, advisory report on the or epidemic yeah. of loneliness, mm-hmm. I think it's worth reading yeah. because it summarizes in a pretty simple language these broader societal processes. Um, the truth is I can find almost everything helpful um, helpful to to read Mm. um oh third order change is uh i was a part of of um another book socioculturally attuned family therapy with Mm. Teresa mcdowell and maria bermudez and Teresa drew on other disciplines that were expanding on bateson's concept concepts of the different levels of thinking. So in family therapy, we talk about first order change, second order change. But this whole idea of third order change being about, it's similar to raising consciousness, but seeing how the the systems that we're in now aren't the only possible systems that there are. And so anything that helps us expand our awareness about possibilities about um, uh, how we can, are often um, automatically replicating ideas and patterns that mm. you know we took in without realizing it. Right. So that I we have found um, Teresa Marie and I that that people in family therapy just cap- captured that they resonated with the idea of third order change so much, and so. I think um, that's another direction that I would, uh, it was, yeah. I'm a co-author on it, but it's really new to me. It was Teresa's, um, Teresa brought that. Yeah, I, I like that. It's, I'm going to do some research on that myself. So thank you for that. 
All right, Carmen, it, it's been wonderful to be in conversation with you again. You know, one of my favorite things was to be in class with you and there would be like eight of us and we would just be sitting around for a couple of hours just having a conversation about maybe a particular article or a particular idea or something like that. And it was just really, really informative and influential to me. So I appreciate and, that. And I appreciate and one you. Of the, <laughs> one, thank you. One of the ideas that I took from you, hmm. I don't know that you ever published this paper, but you were working on a paper about experience near hmm. um, practices and hmm. narrative therapy. Hmm. And if you if you read closely this new book, it's really always about being experienced near. Hmm. And that was a term I, you didn't make it up, but I learned, I, I got that from my conversations with you. Thank you. Thank you, Carmen. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you for making the time. Listeners, the link to the book will be in the show notes. Uh, please go support the work. And Carmen, it's just been wonderful. Thank you. It's good seeing you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. That's our show. And as always, please, uh, again, if you could, take a moment to rate and review the show wherever you may be listening to it from. Come join us on the socials. Uh, there's a Radical Therapist Instagram page, and um, we're on Facebook. And if you want to message me, you can do that at the theradicaltherapist at gmail.com. Uh, be happy to get your feedback, as always, or even guest suggestions or something like that. I always appreciate guest suggestions. Um, you know, making people letting me know about interesting work that's going on out there. I much appreciate that. So, uh, so yeah. So this was our first podcast of 2024. I wish you a lot of peace in the new year, a lot of liberation in the new year. Um, until we're all liberated, none of us are. Always remember that. And um, yeah, I'm as always. Thanks for listening. I'm Chris Hoff. Peace. <laughs>